0: i to be here with you again today. It seems like every time I come, though, Dr. Winberg's on vacation. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know how many vacations he gets a year, um, but if you're a first-time guest with us, it's kind of a cruel joke to try to get you to come back another day. If you want to hear some real preaching, you can come back next week, and, and Dr. Winberg will be off of vacation, and he'll be leading you into the new year in 2013 and uh, so it's exciting to be able to be here. Every time I come, the music is unbelievable. And I tell you, that was just exciting. Well done. Well done. i tell you. It, uh, in fact, I want an accompaniment track while I'm preaching, just you playing the piano, just <laughs> kind of like they do in the movies, you know, just a soundtrack. Um, Christmas time's real, real fun at our house. We have a nine-year-old, seven-year-old, and one-year-old in the house and, uh, and so it was something else this year. And, uh, and, and they came running down the steps this year. And, and really, you know, with it being a recession and all, um, probably the best gift they got was a roll of duct tape. And, and I'm serious. We really did give them some duct tape because um, they're boys and I have to train them when they're young, you know, how to fix stuff. And, uh, and they took that duct tape and we made a duct tape wallet for it, you know, but they didn't have any money because it's a recession, so. Uh, already given it all to your youth center. Um, but uh, but anyway, we had a great time. I hope you had a lot of fun. Um, the only thing I got for Christmas this year was five pounds, and uh, and I don't know how I'm going to be able to take that back as easily as I can to Walmart. But um, anyway, it, it is a lot of fun to uh, to be able to spend time with the family. Uh, but now's the time for us to kind of reflect on this past year and a launching pad for 2013. And so um, I don't know about you, but um, Sometimes when I wake up and go to church, sometimes I don't expect very much. I just come to see my friends and listen to some music, but, but I'm not expect for the Lord to really come in and tell me something that is gonna radically change and shift how I act when I leave. But, but I'm gonna pray in just a second that God does that for you. That this just not be just any old Sunday, that this might be a Sunday that really radically shifts your thinking and really begins to change and stir in your heart as you look to 2013. So let's pray together. Father, we are honored to be in your presence. You are the great I am. You have been uh, actively at work in this world from the very beginning. We are a very small part of that. And, uh, and so we give you honor and glory and praise today through our, through our singing. But also, Lord, um, through our worship and our lifestyle. I pray, Lord, that... Um, that now as you uh, speak to us through your word, Lord, that we might be challenged and, and also, Lord, that, um, that we might be changed. Lord, because you're in the business of uh, just, just taking us out of our comfort zone and really doing something within us that we could only imagine. And Lord, it's far greater than uh, anything we could try to do on our own. And so I just pray, Lord, that you might uh, use us beginning even today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen about a year before my dad died, he wanted to go to, uh, to the Grand Canyon. It was something that he always wanted to do. Now, uh, I'd never been to the Grand Canyon, so I couldn't see the big deal with it. Right. It's just a big hole. And so he said, I want to go to the Grand Canyon. So being the good Baptist I was, I suggested that we take a trip to Las Vegas <laughs> and then do a one day side trip to the Grand Canyon. And, uh, my dad in all his wisdom said, no, son, I want to spend the whole time at the Grand Canyon. I said, you want to go five days to the Grand Canyon? He said, yes, I want to fly directly there and I want to spend five days there. And so I was talking to one of my friends at church and I said, I just don't, what are we going to do? I mean, when we get there, I said, I, you know, I, I can imagine looking at the hole for like a day, but I mean, there's only so many vantage points. And I mean, what, you know, what do you think we ought to do? And he just looked at me. He said, you've never been, have you? And I said, uh, I said, no, I haven't Raise your hand if you've ever been before. So he looks at me and he says, you'll figure it out once you get there. And, uh, and so I said, well, I don't understand. He said, I can't explain it to you. And for those of you who raised your hand, you understand what I'm talking about. He said, it's something you're going to have to experience once you get there. And he said, but you'll spend four or five days there easy. And so we went out to we went out to Flagstaff, uh, and, and we went up to the Grand Canyon. The first thing we did was we went and saw an IMAX movie on it, and uh, and I thought, you yeah, know, well that's, that's a pretty nice hole, and uh, but I really wasn't expecting very much, you know. And so and so we we drive up to the Grand Canyon. And there's all these trees and woods, and you don't you don't see it at first. And so you're driving up, thinking, you know, did I miss it? I mean, where where's this this uh, big hole, this seventh wonder of the world? And and when we we cross over this parking lot, and I got a glimpse of it through the trees, and it almost took my breath away. Like, I looked at my dad, and I said, I said, Dad, it's right there. And uh, and we parked the car, and we're walking up through the trees and getting closer to it. And when we stood out on the rim, I mean, it was an awe-inspiring moment in time that you'll never forget. Those who have never been before— I'm not trying to play it up for you to try to go out there yourself. I'm telling you that once you stand on the rim of, of one of the greatest things that God ever made, it will take your breath away. And I remember standing there and my dad was just speechless. He just stood there and, and, uh, and we just kind of soaked it all in. And then we took like vantage points. There was probably about 10 or 12 different lookouts we went to and every, every spot looked different. There's a picture of me. I think we may have it now uh, of me standing on the rim. Do we have that picture? Um, but I was standing on the rim, and as I'm looking out, there, there's the colors of, of cascading down the, the canyon. There's clouds that are, that are rolling, and they're casting a shadow in different places on the canyon. And you could see way down at the bottom this river, and you could see, like, boats on the river. And it was so small. It was, you, you just realized how small you were. Well, for the next few, two, two days, uh, the next day, we took a, a raft ride down at the base of the canyon. And, and, then the, and then the final day, we took a helicopter ride in 30 mile an hour winds, which was so crazy. It was funny because everybody else was closed except for this one helicopter place. And, uh, and I went up to him and I said, uh, I said, how are y'all still open? All the other helicopter places have said they closed because of wind. And the guy said, he said, he said well, we have larger helicopters. And I looked behind I no, you don't. These helicopters are the same size, He said, no, Our seat five; those others seat four. So my dad said, "Book it. We're going in it." And so we literally we got tossed around over the canyon in a helicopter ride. And uh, when I got back, I realized how they were still open. He, he came up to the counter. He said, "Did you feel safe?" I said, "Well, not really." He said, "No, no, no, no." Did you feel safe? I mean, did you make it back okay? Was it worth the experience? I said, "Oh, well, it was worth the experience, all right." I mean, we had an awesome time. He said, "Well." Make sure you tell that to the people that are taking the survey when you go to leave. (laughs) And so I told them. And so they kept it open. And uh, so for those three days, we soaked it in. And when I got home, when I got home, I went and talked to my buddy. And I said, man, I said, I went out to the canyon. Wow. And he just looked at me. He nodded his head. And he said, now you know what I'm talking about. You see, because if you have never experienced that kind of majesty... There's no words or pictures that could really lay it out for you. You see, I could try to tell you what it is like to have God transform your life. But if you haven't been there, you won't get it. I could try to tell you what it's like to watch God work through your life to change someone else's life. But if you haven't been there, you won't get it. I could try to tell you what it's like to feel the love that comes from an orphan that needs a father... But if you haven't been there, you won't get it. You see, I could try to tell you what it's like to to take a step in faith, not knowing what's going to happen when you're done. But if you haven't been there, you won't get it. You have to experience it for yourself. Isaiah had one of those life-altering, awe-inspiring experiences. But it wasn't with something that God created. It was with the Creator Himself. And it changed his life forever. It caused him to look up, caused him to look in, and caused him to look out. Turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. We'll camp out in that passage today. Isaiah is found, of course, in the Old Testament. Uh, It's right there after, um, kind of the middle of the Bible. There's Psalms, Proverbs. Um, Isaiah chapter 6 was written at a time when... When there was kind of uneasiness going on in the land, Isaiah was written by the prophet Isaiah as he lays out a vision that he had of the Lord, Isaiah chapter 6. The scripture reads, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. For 52 years, Uzziah had led Judah in a program of peace and prosperity. It was an era of expansion and achievement. Unfortunately, though, the king had rebelled against the word of God and died a leper in his his dying days. But Isaiah realized that, that though the nation looked like a prosperous nation by the world's standards, it was in a decayed state spiritually. The economic growth and peace was a veil for a nation of wicked and greedy hearts. I know that doesn't sound familiar. But Isaiah is is writing here to this nation. And the king is dead. And there seems to be uneasiness, unrest of what's going to happen next. But sometimes in the midst of tragedy, the true king is revealed and makes himself known. And maybe the way God is going to really show up big in your life is when you are at your lowest. Many times we want to pray for health and prosperity. We want to pray for protection from trials and hurts and worries. But maybe, maybe just in, maybe in 2013, we may need to change our prayers to God. If there is trial and if there is hardship and even through my weaknesses, Lord, would you be glorified through that? Would you use me? Would you help me to get your name out to this world, even in times of hardship? You see, God will not protect you from what he plans to perfect you through. And when we look up and realize how great and awesome is the God that we serve and how powerful and in control he is, it causes us to realize who we are. When Isaiah looked up at the Lord, he was seated on a throne. He was high. He was lifted up. He sat in a place of authority and he was not confined to the temple. In fact, the train of his robe filled up the entire place. Now you see the temple was a place where they came to meet with God. And we realize though that this is a figurative language because be quite frank, even the tip of his robe would cover the entire planet is how big he is you see he's too big for the temple it could not confine god this is the dwelling or the tabernacle that he chose to commune or meet with man on his own terms the image that isaiah sees is overwhelming this 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 majestic god who is all-powerful all-knowing and above him were these seraphs, these angelic beings who were above the Lord. They were, they were referred to in scripture only here. And the name literally means burning ones. They were ablaze with the glory of God. They are flying around him, covering their faces and their feet because they realize who they are as the created. They shield their eyes from him because of his holiness. They cover their own feet because of the uncleanness. They had a proper understanding of who they were as created beings and who God is as creator. And all they could muster up to say, all they could get out of their mouths was, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And they weren't just singing a song like we do in that song that we would sometimes sing here in the hymn. They were calling out to one another in agreement and one accord. The threefold repetition of the word holy suggests supreme or complete holiness. Repeating a word three times for emphasis is common in the Old Testament. And as the seraphs cried out, Isaiah saw the temple shake with the awesome presence and power of God. And then it was filled with smoke and he was totally consumed with who God is. And that was just a glimpse. You see, this this whole vision that he had of the Lord was just simply a glimpse of who he is. And when you look up and you see God for who he really is, that he's not just some some Santa Claus figure sitting around waiting on you to give him a list of things to do so he can fulfill his day that day. That he is on a mission since the beginning of time to reveal how great and awesome and majestic he is. You must first have a proper understanding of how great God is and how small you are before you can proceed with the life that God has in store for you. Some of us think more highly of ourselves than we need to. Some of us think that God owes us a pat on the back for all the work we do, even here within the church. When you don't have a proper perspective, it causes you to forget the height from which you have fallen in your sin. But when you look up and see how great God is, the reality of your own state is revealed. And here's the second part. The second part is that you would look in at yourself. Now in verse five here, Isaiah writes, "'Woe to me, I cried. "'I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, "'and I live among a people of unclean lips, "'and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. "'And then one of the seraphs flew to me "'with a live coal in his hand, "'which he had taken with tongs from the altar.'" And with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. You see, a proper understanding of God forces us to look in at ourselves. And we begin to see how we measure up to God. Isaiah didn't rush up to God at this point, kiss him on the cheek. He didn't say, hey, God, look at what all I've been doing for you down here on earth. I know you must be proud of me. He, he didn't say, God, I'm glad you're here. Hey, it's good to see you. He, he, he didn't go up to him and say, hey, God, I want a new job. I don't like this whole prophesying stuff. Would you just give me a new job in 2013? He, he didn't go up to him and, and start giving him a list of things or, or, hey, Lord, will you help me with some bills that I'm having? I'd like to get out of debt this year. He didn't say that. All of a sudden he realized how ruined he was he says, I am nothing. I am ruined. I am a dead man. I have unclean lips and I live among unclean people and I have no right to even see you. You see, God's holiness reveals this, this messed up world that we live in that we've gotten used to. And we've just gotten used to it. Let's be honest. We've gotten used to this messed up world that we, 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 we run with every single day. And, and you know what? It's not that it's rubbing off on us. It is a reflection of us. It's what's on the inside that's flowing out. And it used to be that we kind of keep it up and hide it. And now people just aren't hiding it. It's just revealing how awful of a state we're in, how ruined we are. Isaiah had been in God's business Surely he never did anything wrong. I mean, he was a preacher for goodness sake. His ministry had been to let everyone know that they were under judgment and they weren't doing the right thing. Now think about that. Like his job was to go around telling the the people of Judah how messed up they were. His job was to go around saying, hey, look out, (laughs) the Lord is coming. Y'all are messed up people. And all of a sudden, when he comes in contact with with this God who, who he's serving and working with, all of a sudden, the reality hits him that it is his own sin and compared to God that he was the subject of judgment. Sometimes it's a whole lot easier to point the finger at somebody else than it is to look inside of our own lives at the sin that we haven't dealt with yet. You see, we look at the sin that other people are dealing with that we dealt with a long time ago, and we don't have to worry about it anymore, and then it just becomes something that we point the finger out when we are full of pride, we are full of selfishness, and we haven't dealt with that yet. Isaiah's reaction is that he's unclean, he's unworthy, and as he cries out, the Sarah flies down to Isaiah with a coal from the altar of the Lord and actually sears his face, He says this, your sin is atoned for. Your unclean lips are made clean. Not because of something that you did, but because I'm God and I have the power to atone your sin. It came with a price. And for us, it came with the ultimate price of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection from the grave. And inside of our own lives, maybe today, you need to do a gut check of where you actually stand before the Lord. Maybe if you feel like you're really not that bad, maybe that's the one lie that that Satan has on you and he's tricked you into believing. Maybe you need to look into your own life at some things in 2013 that, that if other people in this building found out about it, you'd be sick to your stomach. My sons uh, and I went, went hunting this past week and uh, went on a dove shoot for the first time. And, uh, and my seven-year-old son, you know, his grandpa always seems to give him a shotgun. And you know you from the South when you're seven years old and you got a shotgun. <clears throat> Luckily, it was a small 410 and I was standing next to him and he had never shot one before. And so a little bird flew up on a little power line. And, and I, I said, shoot him off the power line. It was a little dove. And, And don't worry, the dove was safe. Um, And uh, so he pulled the trigger and it knocked him off the five-gallon bucket he was sitting on. It just fell on the ground. And he picked up some pecans along the way as we were out there. And he's he's really trying to crack this pecan. He's trying to get into this pecan. He hadn't been able to get into it. And and so finally he was all excited. He finally crushed it and got into it. And he showed it to me. He said, Daddy, is this one okay? And it was just black, rotten, worm in it. And I was like, sure, that's fine. Taste it. I'm, I'm just kidding moms. I didn't do that. I mean, sometimes you got to teach them, let them learn on their own. But I, I said, no, son, that, that, that nuts messed up. You got to throw that one off to the side. Listen, there's some nuts around here that are still messed up on the inside. And only Jesus can clean that up. You can't clean that up yourselves. You can't try to be a better person and, and, and then figure that you can get in front of a holy and righteous God and, uh, and be okay. It doesn't work that way. You see, Jesus is the only one that can clean you up. He's the only one that can atone for your sin. He's the only one. And you have to come before the Lord like Isaiah did and fall down at his feet and say, I am ruined. I am unclean. I'm a dead man. I've got to have you. I, I want you to be in control of my life. I lay my life down before you and allow him to clean you up. You see, he has to atone for your sin. And so as you come before Jesus and say, Jesus, I am messed up. Listen, I've got sin in my life. I need you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be in control of my life. I want to turn away from my sin and turn towards you. He, He gives you meaning and a purpose and something to do. He gives you a new life and he transforms you. Listen, if you've never been transformed like I'm talking about, I can't explain it to you. I can't explain what it's like. I can try to. I can show you in scripture. But if you haven't experienced it, then I I can't adequately let you know what it's like. But you know if you've been transformed. You know it. And if you're sitting around today and you're doubting about it, and you're saying, well, I'm I'm just not sure if God's really ever taken away my sin and really changed me from the inside out. Don't wait till 2013 to do it. Even today, come before Jesus and say, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Because when you look up and see how great God is, and you look inside and see how rotten you are, and then God does become the Lord of your life, look out because he's going to force you out of your comfort zone. In verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Crying out. Now he's not looking at Isaiah saying, all right, boy, I got something I want you to do. He's crying out to, to those who are flying around him, to the heavenly host and saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? The great privilege. The great privilege of being able to serve this great and mighty God. The great awesome privilege of saying, God, can I be a part of that? He said, many times we cower back. We are asked to do things within the church. We're asked to do things outside the, the walls of the church. And it's, ah, I, just, I don't know if I can commit to that. I don't know if I can do that. Listen, it is a great privilege to be able to have the God of the universe say, Hey, I need somebody to do something who will do it. And for you to rise up and say what Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. What a privilege it is for Isaiah to say, listen, whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. And my question to you today is, are you ready to say, send me? He could have sent whoever he wanted to. Listen, he could have sent the seraphs who were crying out already. He could have sent them down. Listen, you want to shake things up, send some angels down to the earth and start crying out. That'll get everybody's attention, right? He could have looked down at the earth and he could have gotten the rocks to cry out if he wanted to, it says in scripture. But he chose us to do it. And Isaiah says, send me. We cannot sit idle any longer. Listen, church, we must be relentless in our pursuit of giving every man, woman, and child a repeated opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. We have to be relentless about that. Our mission is to impact the lostness of our community and the world around us. The mission field, though, is out there, not in here. Listen, you've got programs and ministries and things that happen here, and I think that's awesome. But listen, 75% of South Carolina is outside the walls of the church on 11 o'clock on Sunday. That's where the mission field is Monday through Saturday. Listen, he's sending us out there. And guess what? The mission is not to bring them back here. That might be a flash bulletin for you. The mission's not to bring them to church. The mission is to be the church to them out there. Take the message of the gospel to them out there. To begin making disciples through telling the story and give them a reason to be here. It's a big difference but we have got to get outside the walls in order to get the message out to give them a reason to be here. They're not sitting around right now thinking, man, I don't have anything to do on Sundays at 11. I need to figure out something to do. They're not doing that right now. Walmart's filled up right now. They've got their own lives. They got things that they're doing outside the walls of this church. Give them a reason to worship this God that we serve. Give them a reason that they might see your life that they might hear the gospel through your words and they might be changed. Charles Spurgeon said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Isaiah earlier in chapter one, he says this, learn to do right Seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Isaiah says, you are responsible for the fatherless. You are responsible for those who are oppressed. You are responsible to impact the lostness of your community. And judgment always follows a church and a people that sits idle. Shame on us as a church if we feel like we've had a good Sunday because the music was on pitch and the message made us shout hallelujah, but no one in the church that week told anyone about Jesus. No one came to know Jesus the week before. Widows were being neglected. Orphans are going hungry in your community. Fatherless children go unadopted. You see, the danger is that this goes on Sunday after Sunday in some churches and has become the normal. That it has become normal that the baptismal waters are never filled up. That it becomes normal that there's still great need in our community that we're waiting on somebody else to do something about and we sit back idle. We can no longer act like those people do not exist. So what is God calling you to do? In this new year, how far are you willing to go to follow Jesus? Not just geographically. How far are you willing to go spiritually with those you come in contact with every single day? When was the last time that you were scared to death at what Jesus wanted you to do? And you did it anyway. In closing, I saw something at the Grand Canyon that, that kind of disturbed me a little bit. We've been spending the whole day looking at the, at the Grand Canyon. And, and, uh, and I walked up and there was this little boy. And this little boy was sitting right on the edge of the canyon. He was in the shadows of the trees. And he was looking down at a video game. And at first glance, I looked at him and thought, you know, if I was a little kid, I'd probably be playing a little video game too after my dad drugged me around for a whole day looking at this big hole. Then all of a sudden it struck me. This is what the church is like. They sit right on the edge of seeing God do the most amazing thing that they have ever seen. Yet they get so tied up with doing some meaningless, useless activity that they miss it. That they're right there. They're right there on the edge of greatness, of right there on the edge of seeing God just move among a people that they've never seen before. If they would just put down their video game and look up. I wanted to shout out to the little guy. Put your video game down, man. It's right there. Check it out. I wanted to say, listen, man, listen, do you see what God made? Look at this thing. But I sat there just stunned. I just took a picture of him. And he just played away. What is it that God wants you to do in 2013? Who is it that God wants to use you to go to? You cannot come face to face with a holy and righteous God and leave unchanged. He did not reveal himself to you and forgive you of your sin and give you a mission for you to waste time on something like a little video game. He's called you to affect the lostness of your community by letting others know of this grand story of transforming dead men and women and making them alive again. So I dare you to pray daily in 2013 this prayer. It's written on your, well, no, it's not written on your bulletin. Write it down. Here's the prayer. I dare you to pray in 2013. God, show me someone today who you want me to be a blessing to. And then ask God, what do you want me to do? God, show me today somebody you want me to be a blessing to. And then now, God, what do you want me to do? You'll be amazed at how your eyes open. Like, change your prayer life from just a list of things that you need God to do to saying, God, I know you're active. I know you're doing something. What do you you want me to do? And who is it that you want me to be a blessing to? He will radically shift your life. Look up and realize his power. Look in and be transformed. But look out, church, because he's going to use you to radically shift this community for the Lord in 2013 let's pray together father we acknowledge your presence with us here today we know that you're up to something we know that there's some people here today that have never experienced the life change that comes from repenting of sin and turning towards you and so i just ask right now for those in here who are far from you I pray, Lord, that they might come during this invitation time and might talk to one of the pastors here and might turn their life over to Christ in a real way. Lord, there may be some believers here that just need to come to the altar who may just need to pray right there at the seat that God would use them in 2013 to impact just one person with the gospel. God would, would use them to do something amazing. So, Lord, I pray that during this time of invitation, they might focus in on you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.